You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. I wish I could break free back to where I'm supposed to be. I am Michael. I'm here with Chris Leonard, and I'm here with Kyle Churnside. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Doing good. I I, I found a, um, a milk crate full of records. I I just need your address, Kyle, um, so that you can at the next uh, couple skate you uh, you can you can display <laughs> at the next couple skate. You mean I didn't have to buy that Serato uh, uh, thing what? already? <laughs> Man, all right. Well, yeah, dude. I'll rip, I'll rip vinyl. That's cool. <laughs> I got uh, Stacy Q, Queen of Hearts, queued up over here right now. <laughs> I got a. Uh, I, I found this little plastic. Uh, so it's like a battery powered VW bug, and it drives around the top of the record, and it plays the music. It has like a laser. It has an optical sensor. Um, and I I bought it to to bring to the guys at work, and I was like, you can't just show up with this. You have to like show up with a record too. It has to be like a whole, you know, because you show up with that then it's like now what so i i was like i gotta get a funny record so i got the abba record with the they were there on the and like the the weird helicopter thing on the front awesome. i brought that that yeah i know right <laughs> so that was my choice I, I went into the record store like you know what's the weirdest thing i can find in here and that's what i that's what i settled on well I, I think we're all kind of going a little stir crazy now. I might actually bust out the vinyl too. I have one of those weird briefcase ones that you used to buy at like uh, Marshalls nice. when they didn't get sold at the <laughs> d- real department store. Um, so that's what I've been listening on, but it does have output so I can put it into something else. I think just, it's like it, it brings back the garbage sound that I really like in life, I guess. I don't know. You know, oh. Michael, it's, it's funny you, you mentioned ABBA, but so I've actually had to uh, when working with Josh Groban, uh, he did um, there was is a Broadway play or a theatrical play called Chess um, that ABBA did the score to, and the first time it was done in its full entirety, which is like a four hour long show or whatever, we did it at Royal Albert Hall in London, and and Josh was one of the awesome. characters uh, in it, and so I got to stand there and basically say, "Yep, his voice sounds good," you know, to the mix engineer, "You're doing a good job." <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and Royal Albert Howell is um, amazing. But here's yeah. here's here, here was the best part out of out of all that. I'm standing in front of house and I look next to me and there's this really tall tall man with this like, you know, uh uh silver white, you know, curly, bushy, long hair that's you know, and he's super tall. I'm like, ah, what it was Brian May. Brian May was standing next to me in front of house. No. And I'm Whoa. like, what? Right, and it, it, he he was there because he's a big fan of opera and, and 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 theater and stuff, and he wanted to see Josh and see the play and stuff, and so we got to say hey to him back in the green room and everything. But it was uh, it was a pretty cool experience. But that's so when I think of Abba, I at least think of that. So it was, it was kind of a cool experience. That that is wild. And, I'm jealous. And then you think of Queen and Brian May's guitar tone, and you're like totally redeemed yourself for thinking about Abba. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So our guest this episode, actually we have two guests, um, Pro Sound Web and Live Sound International contributor Eric Ferguson, who is so, assistant, let me see if I can get this, I had to write this all down, it's really crazy, assistant professor of audio engineering and live sound technology at the New England School of Communications at Hassan University, is that right? Hassan, Hassan University, Hassan, yes. Hassan University. 
That's crazy. And uh, Eric is also accompanied by one of his students, Hannah Goodine, who's currently in his program and who I've also adopted as my apprentice. And I've just been torturing her and making her memorize all sorts of terrible nerdy stuff. Um, Is that why she's getting good grades? (laughs) (laughs) So we wanted to have a bit of a discussion on this episode. Uh, A lot of the young people are sort of saying, you know, hey, what's my next step in audio? Should I go to school? Should I join a program? Should I take an apprenticeship? Should I study online? Uh, should I just should go I change careers? Oh, wait. Sorry. Right. Yeah. No. So we so, have the local degenerates here, and then we got some professionals. <laughs> so I think I just want to get started. Well, first of all, Eric and Hannah, thank you for thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Of course. Hey. Our pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having us. Very excited to be here. So I want to know for the older folks, meaning everyone but uh, everyone but Hannah, what Kyle? is your yeah? What is your background? Uh, what is your background in audio? You know, who's who went to school? Who kind of picked it up along the way? And Kyle, I think you're the oldest. By a huge margin, so you can go first. (laughs) Shocking. Go figure. Um, So, yeah, and this is a cool discussion because now we kind of got the full spectrum of of – from the the age groups and and you know, sometimes when you think about peers and mentors like we talk about a lot on the show, you know – you guys have become my mentors, even though that you're younger than me. I've, I've been learning a lot from our guests, um, learning a lot from students going through programs. So when I was a young gentleman, I was in a bad metal band and I got kicked out because I was a singer and I didn't have a PA. I was singing through a bass amp. <laughs> and um, so to get revenge on my friends that had kicked me out of their band, I went out and started basically putting a PA together and um there wasn't any classroom study things going down. I mean, I was still in high school, obviously. I could have went into the theater stuff and done things there or broadcast or whatever. But when it came to live sound and rock and roll, um, I just put together a PA. And I found out that we when we did like VFW halls or, you know, someplace where we had to bring our own PA, all the other bands use my stuff. And then when we didn't have shows, those bands would call me and be like, hey, Kyle, you want to bring your stuff out and do this thing and we'll give your money for it? And I was like, wait, I get money for doing that? And um, <laughs> I, I did end up going um, and enrolling into Webster University after a failed career in high school. And um, they liked me. And it was crazy because they had broadcast and studio um, opportunities and audio. So when I got to the studio there, um, it was hard because I had already been working my own PA. I had already been troubleshooting, trying to figure this thing out. Like, how did I burn up that amplifier? How did I blow up stuff? So I felt like I was a little bit in too much of a controlled environment. Um, Then I started working at clubs and venues uh, school kind of fell to the wayside because there really wasn't a live audio program. And, uh, so there, there it is, Chris, like you said, before we started the show, school of hard knocks. Um, (laughs) I, I worked in clubs that were held together with duct tape and spit. And from there, you know, maybe I picked up the Yamaha's guide to sound reinforcement. I talked to a lot of older people and when I was younger, obviously they're dead now. Um, but I, uh, that's how I picked up knowledge from it. And now, uh, I, I do a lot of adjunct teaching and, um, training on stuff for churches and AES and just people calling and asking questions and stuff like that. So, um, that's, that's my background. That's where I started. Uh, it's, I spent my whole life trying to legitimize to my parents why I was going to college 
when I just wanted to go out and push cases and be in rock and roll, you know? So now it's a lot different and I can't wait until we get to the bottom of the list because I really want to hear what kids, I hate saying kids because like I said, anyone can be my mentor. Hannah probably could teach me some things right now for sure. But um, what they're learning in school and how they're going to apply it once they get to be a 48-year-old man like myself. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to drink a can of Insure right now because <laughs> I just r- ran out of gas. Well, yeah, now I, now I, 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 you're 40. I'm only 47, so... <laughs> Oh man, by by a small margin, Kyle. Well, I I overestimated. My forty eighth birthday is until July. So what what's up? Uh-huh. Oh man, <laughs> I um uh, my you can hear my most of my whole story episode sixteen, the first episode that I I came on board. So I'll try to keep it short and sweet. It just um, I you know I kind of grew up doing sound with my dad. My dad did like the bar band uh cover band circuit like when he was in college, but nothing necessarily professionally. Um, uh, and it was just all I ever did as a kid. Um, every gear putting gear in the back of a station wagon, whether it was church, whether it was friends bands, whatever. Um, high school didn't go well, uh, so I dropped out there. Uh, and knew I wanted to do, you know, sound for a living. So I thought the route to that would be through school, um, just not knowing any different. Um, and it's definitely a route. It's not necessarily the only route. Um, so I went to a local recording um, school in Baltimore, which is around where I was from, Sheffield Institute for the Recording Arts. And it, uh, it had a couple different programs like audio works, uh, tech works, and video works. And so it was just like a 300-hour, you know, two nights a week um, type of thing at, at night. And um, mostly recording, um, a little bit of live, uh, but you know, most mostly recording. And I knew a lot going into it, um, but it was it was definitely help, you know, grounding. And it got me my first gig um, um, at Maryland Sound. Um, so I, the biggest thing I think the school paid off for me, and we'll, we'll dig into this some more. But to me, it was just the connection. So you know, it I might not have found that a connection with Maryland Sound or not as quickly had I not gone to school. So it was a, from a networking standpoint, it was it was huge. Um, and um, so that that's how I got in, and you know, uh, that's I don't know twenty years ago now, but um, yeah. Well, I'm glad you said networking because I think that's that's one of the things that I I, I did go to college, but not for audio. Um, my my background in audio was basically that I was left unattended in high school um, in the auditorium, and uh, no one was checking <laughs> on on me, and I was in there connecting things and pushing knobs and turning faders and and all the other you know, contradictory terms as such. And um, then they started coming and pulling me out of class and uh, there's a meeting or an event and they would come get me because I had to, they wanted me to run the sound. And the, uh, when I got to high school, the company that had the contract for the space, they had some very good LDs and they had really good riggers and set designers and, and they did not have a good audio person on staff at the time. And so, you know, I was kind of the nerd that was showing up. Um, and just like at that point I was like, man, I will do anything to just get, you know, access to this stuff. And they're like, oh, wow, okay, this kid can, you know, get through a show without having terrible, terrible feedback. And so they hired me. And, you know, even when I went to college and pursued other things professionally, I always worked with them uh, on and off. And so it's it's kind of cool because the guy that runs that company, I'm still really good friends with to this day. But so, you know, my my education in audio was almost completely 
informal. Uh, I've never sat through much of seminars or classes, or I didn't study it in college. It's a lot of reading. I love books and reading white papers and manuals and and that type of stuff. And and I'm also a big fan of the old pick up the phone and call somebody and harass them with questions until they can't take it anymore. Uh, <laughs> which is which <laughs> yeah. is uh, you know the tribal knowledge. So so that's sort of you know I'm sort of coming at it from a completely different angle. Than, than you gentlemen. So Eric, I'm really interested in your journey, sort of starting in audio and kind of ending back up teaching audio, you know, kind you know, of going full circle. I've always been obsessed with audio. There are, there, my parents have the story of me getting one of my dad's woolen sack tape recorders at age five and getting a screwdriver and tearing the whole thing apart. Uh, so early, you know, early five, six, seven, eight, just recording everything in sight. It was probably in junior high that I, I started playing with, I, f- I found a little PA that I could play with. And then in high school, um, in the 1980s, I became the sound guy for the high school. And, and recording and live sound were both intermixed together. There was never really a separation in my head between the two. It was just audio, anything with microphones, anything with speakers. Uh, there was a local sound company. I grew up in a small town, but there was a local sound company. And at, at 15, um, I got my first paid gig and worked for an older guy and he, he showed me a whole lot of stuff, but I continued doing anything I could record in high school and, and do sound in high school. Uh, after high school, went to community college, um, didn't get good, very good grades in high school. So I couldn't get into a good school and did worked in a music store, had three years of music store experience. That was definitely educational. Um, at 21, I went to Berkeley college of music. So I moved across the country, saved up money, got in there and did the recording program there. It was fantastic. Uh, at that point, I didn't really want to do live sound. I'd, I'd done a lot in high school and, you know, cheesy equipment and lots of feedback and lots of struggles. And, you know, when you're four, I, I remember, I, you know, I have so many memories, but remember being 15 and, you know, doing a Dixieland jazz festival three days in a row and all the, all the artists are all in their 70s playing Dixieland. They're all yelling at this 15-year-old kid. And, and so I didn't want to do live sound at Berkeley. I want to do recording. And so at 24, moved to Los Angeles uh, and uh, got a, a job working for A&M Studios. I was a runner, did the formal pay your dues, get food for rock stars, clean toilets, all that. That was very rough. That was a, that was a rough experience for the first year or so. But I, I broke through, became an assistant engineer, got to work with a lot of really big artists. I got to see a lot of really great studio engineers, famous people work and learned a whole lot from that. Uh, the studio transition, I think it was around 1999, it, it closed. There was a, one of those many, one of those many record, record label mergers that have happened. And the studio closed and I was going to try to get out of L.A. because I hated it. But I, uh, an artist called me, Lee Rittenauer, a jazz guitar player, and he had heard my name from somebody else and said, hey, you want to come work for me? And so I started being his Pro Tools guy and started doing his overdubs. And after several years of making records with him, which was great because he, he he is uh, connected with so many really fantastic musicians. So I got to work with really cool people. But uh, a few years in, he needed a new front of house guy. And he I think this was around 2003. And I started doing front of house. And from nowhere, having not done live sound for 10 years, I was suddenly getting to fly all, all around the world and mix shows on PM4000s 4, 4, without ever seeing them before. It was pretty wild and and super fun and, and got to learn a lot through that. Uh, there was... Uh, I'm just summarizing the whole thing here. Um, and then around, I think it was around 2007, we had that 2008, we had a big economic collapse and the clients stopped calling and I decided it was time to get uh, a master's. So I went back to school. The master's is not in audio at all. It's an Afro-Latin music. So I was playing salsa music on the trumpet and learning all about the Cuban Cuban music and the African diaspora and stuff. It was really exciting. And total break from audio at age 35, it was really fun to like kind of 
stop their professional life for a year or two and then go back to it. And then that, of course, opened the door to adjunct teaching. I did some adjunct teaching in Miracosta College in San Diego County. And then people knew people and somebody called me for a job here in Bangor, Maine. And I flew up here and it was snow everywhere. And I was like, why would I leave LA? And there was, there was, there was reasons, you know, personal reasons and stuff. And I moved here and it's, it's been great. It kind of, this school here suits me nicely because we really have two, two personalities within the audio program. There's a very strong live program and there's a very strong studio program. So I get to do both and I can, I can kind of bounce between the two and they're, they're, they're overly siloed at times. You know, students think they're one, but not the other, but they don't really realize that if you do audio, you do it all. And it's been fun for me to be able to go between them. And there's so many really smart people here and we have a fantastic video program and there's just a lot to learn. So to summarize, I've done the hard knocks thing. I was, I, I started in the studio and, and got, you know, really beat up early on as a kid in the studio, but I, uh, and I didn't, but I never did the sound company thing. And, uh, that's a piece of the education that's missing, but I have a little bit of schooling and a little and a lot of a lot of recording and some touring and it's just all mixed together and it's just audio all the time. So I guess I you know the thing for me was I was the one kid you know my my high school was a big sports high school and so everyone else wanted to go to the game on Friday night and I wanted to do something you know audio related um, and so it was a real shift uh, to get into a professional circle where all the folks around you are just as crazy and nerdy as passionate as I was. Uh, and it's a real shift in the environment. And so, um, you know, I'm thinking from, from a school standpoint, um, you know, I think there's a huge benefit to be had and maybe Hannah, you can, you can talk about this, but when you're, when you're sitting in a class surrounded by other people who are just as interested in you are, and you, you stop being the weird one and you kind of get to embrace the environment. Um, that it all through high school or all through hanging out with random people that have become my friends, um, I realized that I am definitely the odd one out when it comes to being obsessed with audio. But um, then moving to Bangor and getting to sit in classes where everybody around me is just as obsessed and just as nerdy about everything that we're nerdy about. Um, it's really awesome to be surrounded by people who are like-minded and who are striving to learn the same things that I am and can hopefully become networking connections someday down the road, you know? Well, it's definitely happened because, uh, I think, um, Full Sail, uh, the conservatory, um, a lot of the places that started to spring up when um, Eric had mentioned when when the market crashed um, yeah. and the recession, like those things really kind of took over. And it, it was weird because, like I said, my parents, I was always trying to legitimize my job, too. And uh, it was like that was the, around the time that we weren't being called roadies anymore. It was like, no, I'm the front of house engineer. I'm a monitor engineer. And, or we even started dropping the engineer title and using mixer because we didn't want to step on the real engineers like civil or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, um, it's, it's cool to be able to put this on paper for people. And, uh, Chris Leonard actually, he's been thinking about this a whole lot. So this, this episode is going to be great material for him if he ever writes a book or <laughs> gets it going. Well, I'm thinking like, doesn't, I mean, doesn't, you know, a, a lot of the, the older cats that are in the field right now, they, they, there wasn't a live audio program. That wasn't a thing that you could do 40 years ago, you know? So 
in a sense, aren't we legitimizing this field? You know, are we making it easier for future generations to not have to convince their parents that it's a real job if you can go to take Eric's class and get a degree, right? Sure, but there's a, an interesting memory I have. Um, you know, when I got to the recording studio in 1994, no, I'm sorry, 1997 and, and graduated from college, uh, the, the chief engineer took me aside and took me in a back room and kind of gave me this scary warning like we don't like college grads we've had this policy <laughs> for 15 years at, at this recording studio that we do not hire college grads and uh you know you're you, you have to be even better than the others because you're a college grad and i'm not trying to you know toot my own horn but they had such uh, they, the other the other runners at that time were not we're not we're not going anywhere. There was just a lot of partying and a lot of cra- lot of craziness, and there wasn't there wasn't anybody who was serious and nobody could patch and nobody could run the console. And I was a college grad and I they had the same console that we had. they had SSL at Berkeley and they had an SSL at A and M and I could operate it. So I quickly you know was promoted and the rest of them weren't. And after me, they said, you know what, let's just hire college grads, and that was over. It was done. They, that old that old methodology went away and. Yes, I, I I think the new reality is education. If you were a, an employer now and you were interviewing people, wouldn't you hire somebody that had learned the skills, or would you want to train them fully from the ground up? I mean, this is such a really complex thing for me, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers here. We're going to start. We're going to start getting oh, real I, right I, now. I, I, <laughs> I'll get real. I want to. I want to ruffle feathers too. I, I have a very poignant <laughs> question that will do that as yeah. well. So. Well, so I mean. When the, when the local companies hire audio people, they call me to come and sit in and talk to the folks. And we've had the guy that's been doing it for 40 years and has never taken a Synodcon class in his life and just goes in and gets results. And then you have the fresh out of college grad who doesn't know what a VCA is uh, and can't explain Phantom Power. And that's and, and so, you know, I think there's some some programs that have given, you know, that's why the old cats look down on on the audio school graduates, because some of the folks that are coming out of some of these programs with some degrees um, have zero practical experience. And so it's sort of like, you know, there's there's a lot of issues here. But to me, entitlement, if yeah, well, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. If you walk yeah, in I your agree. first <laughs> if you walk in and you, you mix on a on a, an SD10 day one, right? Um, that's great, but you're you're getting experience on a console that you probably won't see for the first couple of years of your professional life. And to me, my first tour was soldering iron, fixing cables, patching amplifiers, 12-channel Mackie board, and five of the channels don't work, you know, that type of stuff. And I think it's really important to be exposed to that as part of your education and not I, 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 some of the programs that I have experience with aren't doing that. They're kind of skipping to the big gun step, and I, I find that problematic. I, I agree, and I think so. To to, to my Snyder mark of entitlement, I, get you know, him. Uh, get him. <laughs> um, I, I think there is a um, disservice uh, in expectation of reality of what work is actually out there, and and I think what, um, and 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 making people realize that like where the work actually lies. In other words, like you know. For instance, the school that I went to had the three programs, right? They had a, an audio works, tech works, and video works. And you know, had I had I could, could I had afforded it, or would I done if I could have go back and did it again, I would have not done the audio. I would have done the tech works, right? Of course, you yeah. know. And and but that wasn't as apparent. It's not as flashy, right? Um, um, but the tech works portion skill set will survive me from a career standpoint ten times longer than going to a recording school. Right. Um, and so actually to, to dovetail this into my, you know, 
bombing of of, of this conversation is <laughs> why do why, why do we still have recording schools? And I and I say that very tongue in cheek in that um uh, that the reality is, is that you know there are no I know there's some there are no you know, there aren't this flood of major studios there is not a very viable career there for too many people um, to do that you couldn't otherwise learn in other means whereas from a live standpoint from an install standpoint um, there are much more longer viable careers that that companies will be much more uh, enticed to have people who are suited towards that than that they worked on this SSLG series for 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 five months. Um, and they so make sick and, beats, bro. Yeah. They, make, <laughs> um, they want to be producers. Sick we're beats, get, we're bro. gonna get lit up so, so bad. I know, I know. And and, 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 and and so I, I look. I preface all that with saying, like, so I you know the caveat is that look, look. I still love the school that I went to. I still help them out, and they still have a recording program. And I think that's great. And I think there's times and place for it. I think the biggest thing is maybe there should be a shift in mentality. And this is across the board. I don't care if you're from Full Sail, if you're from Crass, you're from Sheffield. I don't care what school it is. You know, there needs to be reality check, and that's why talked about to tyler i'm like there needs to be understanding that being a system tech for a career for 20 years is perfectly okay and very viable and needed and yeah i i have so much to say i mean i i I do this seven days a week right Right. that i my, my job is really to oh there's my job is to really move students from you know coming out of high school and having no idea what they're wanting to do and four years later to kind of give them a trajectory at least where they can hang for five years before they find the next thing and um you know there's so much to say i mean i I completely agree why do we why do we the, the why do we still have recording studio recording schools question i deal with that every day you know at our school we have roughly and it's it's shrunk quite a bit in the last couple of years but we have roughly 100 125 audio students right now and only 25 of them are live sound we have and we're one of the only schools in the country that has an actual degree in live sound like it's a it's a separate thing and and very few of the students want to do live sound and one of my jobs is actually to try to recruit students into live sound because and my biggest thing flag I wave is do you want to work? Do you want a job? <laughs> or do you want to work at, do you want to go to Best Buy? And and, and Hannah knows this well cuz Hannah Hannah and I live this every day. And I I do, you know, and when you talk and so so the students want the flashy thing. They want to make sick beats. They want to be Dr. Dre. They want to pose on the console without touching the fader. They want to do all that stuff that we laugh at. Um, they don't actually want to push road cases. They don't actually want to work. They don't actually want to grow up in a lot of cases. And I don't blame them. You know, it's, 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 it's hard. And so, but we're, you know, this, I'm telling them the truth and my colleagues are telling them the truth. But if they're also paying us to, to, to sit them in front of a giant SSL and mix records and we'll teach them if they want it. But yeah. our curriculum certainly and, and certainly the live half of our curriculum is very diverse. I mean, we I, I spend just as much time on the system tech side as I do on the mixing side. And we do electronics and soldering and we spend a lot of time doing interpersonal communications and paperwork and trying to be professional and talk Roll about jobs. Cable. 
roller cable. Oh yeah, all of that stuff. And, and I so. and I and I, you know, like I admit, so like the school that I went to, from a recording standpoint, like fundamentals are still fundamentals, right? Like you know uh, how sound propagates in air, right? Um, you know pa- patterns on a microphone, um, you know how signal signal path for whether you where you put your compressor in in, in, in a line of chain. All of those things are still applicable, absolutely. You know, but on either side. So and, and when when I tell people about okay, what did I actually get out of school? There was a lot of fundamentals that I was able to root myself in that you know my dad did a very good job of trying to teach me these things but maybe couldn't tell me the science behind it or couldn't tell me the mathematical reason behind it but he just said hey i just know if i do this this happens and i'm like okay i can repeat that now i know why i can repeat that you know so that was a very (laughs) that was a very good foundational um point to that so like i i agree on one level there, there's a lot of fundamentals you can root in i think that the crux of it becoming okay are you going you know are you going to school because your parents are trying to put you somewhere for four years or are you actually trying to make a career out of this and 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 i, I you know look I, yeah again if, if someone's gonna pay a university to do whatever it is then you know the university's gonna take that money i understand that and so i'm thinking maybe d- does this really is it more on the school, the universities, the the trade schools to then work more on a local level with high schools and making them aware of what these potential career yes. paths are? Yeah, and that's, that's, I, that's probably the better progression. So the reason that I decided to go to audio school was because I wanted the fundamentals and I wanted I wanted to know what I was doing before I stepped into a venue. For the most part, I I mean, coming out of high school, I didn't even know what an XLR was, but that's what Nescom was doing for me was to give me all of those fundamentals. And now I've gotten to the point in the program where I'm figuring out what my niche is and I'm figuring out what I actually want to do. Um, and I've seen both sides of like um, when I'm at work and when I'm at jobs, I've seen the side of people that is like, oh, you're a student. That's awesome. Or, oh, you're a student. Don't work with me. You know, I've seen both of those sides of the coin, I guess. Um, but I feel like I'm getting a lot from being able to say, yes, I went to school. Yes, I know all the fundamentals. And I think that's something possibly unique about our program at Nescom is I started on an analog desk and then worked my way up and now I'm on the SD9. Um, and I feel like I've gotten a lot from the stepping stones that have been placed there for me, I guess. So let, let's let's do a little history thing so we can smooth over so we don't get a lot of emails about bad. <laughs> well, they go they go right to you. So I, as far I as I'm concerned, yeah. <laughs> I just I just dump them in the trash and send a smiley face back. So when when I was coming through this thing, a lot of the engineers that were out touring while I was working at the venue as a crappy kid or working at the production company were scared of us taking their job because the because the the work ethic changed. So when we talk about history of audio and this this is a big subject because I can I can only go back as far as I start. And when when I started going to these late night shows with Fallout Boy, those audio mixers looked at me like, "Who's this kid? Why is he here?" Get him out of my face. And those guys have been sitting there for 20 years mixing these late night shows. They don't want to they don't want right. some kid band coming in. And by the eighth time being there and the the second record cycle or the third record cycle, finally they'd start lighting up, you know, and give you some tricks, tips, like help you out. So this has kind of been a progression. You know, it's just a progression through unlearning almost. It's like you have to 
unlearn what you've learned to teach these people. And I, I salute Eric for doing this because it's, it's hard to put some of this stuff on paper. It really is. And what the college actually requires you to learn for this thing is kind of being made up as we go along. I mean, you, you, there's, there's not many programs that you can go and reference and go, Oh yeah, that's, that's how we're going to do it. So uh, the, the progression has been there. The audio engineer used to be the guy who drove the truck with the stuff in the back, build the mm -hmm. scaffolding, wired everything, put everything together, fixed everything. And then, wow, now we have front of house engineers and monitor engineers and system techs. Like these have all became jobs out of this one job. So thank goodness we don't have an older dude than me on here screaming at you kids. But like, <laughs> he's like, I used to work 34 hour days building scaffolding and you guys want to walk in and just like touch some faders and make it sound cool. Way to go, kid. You know, so this this is kind of progression through unlearning and trying to unpack everything to be able to teach it is is a special job and com commending to you eric for doing it for sure well, well thank you on that there there was something you said earlier when we talked about entitlement and and there there is one what i i not not to, i'm not trying to defend educa the educational system but there is a perception sometimes that it's the educational program where the simple fact that the student has gone through schooling that create that gives them the entitlement. And I don't think so. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's an entitled individual that's gone through a program that you have. Students, you have students like Hannah that are willing to work really hard doing difficult tasks for long hours and are willing to do learning on the side and are willing to keep their mouths shut when they're working for people that are older than them and, and learn from them. And I have all kinds of students. I have super entitled. I have super non-interested. I have super on top of it. I have. And so there's a spectrum of students and whether they're recording students or live students, it really doesn't matter what they studied in audio. It's just whether they've got the drive and the work ethic and the personality to succeed. And you can't so, teach that. Can't teach. Correct. Give a shit. That's Correct. right. Yep. Correct. Yeah. So, Eric, what, how do we – that's an interesting thought to go down that it's, you know, it's not the school teaching that perception. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, again, the biggest school that happens to – I won't name it. The biggest school that happens to be down in Florida, yeah. right? Um, our, our competitor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Hold there's, on. There, there, no, there, you're not talking about that one. <laughs> there, there, there is um, – you know, there's a stigma – like so, me as as an employer, or you know, who is going through resumes and stuff like that. Like, there's a stigma in the industry of you know, if that is what's on your resume, it's like, oh, you know, they're gonna have that sense of entitlement, like that the, the world is owed to them, right? And I think that's because they graduate the most people, so you see the okay. largest perspective. Okay. Okay. I think that, there are. I'm gonna say the name. I think there's a lot of great full sale grads out there. It yes. really depends on the person. Okay. It does. I think messaging is big. I mean, if your whole thing is to, if you're a, a school, right, and your advertising is, come to us, look how super prepared you're going to be, look how, look all this stuff you're going to learn. I think it's natural for the graduate to then go, wow, I'm super prepared. Look at all this stuff I know. And then they show up on a job site next to, you know, the Wayne Pollies of the world who have just been doing this for decades and are just brilliant. And they're like, what the hell, right? So I think. To me, it's, are you going to school because you want to say you went to school or are you going to school because you want to learn the stuff? I think um, you're going to school because your parents told you and, <laughs> and, and society told you you need to go to school mm -hmm. when you're 18, yeah. which is a bad idea. I think people should wait till they're at least 21 to go to school. Yeah. 
I mean, to me, it's it's all about, and this is. I had a great conversation with with Pat Brown from Sanadcon about this. You know, um, is the I've been doing it this way for forty years completely adequate on its own, I, or is I just went I just I just graduated and I have a degree in this now? I don't think either of those are the optimal situation. I think optimally, you know, it's it's that hand in hand education and experience. And I think when you get both of those together, that's when you have a really competent, really professional, really powerful. Um, audio technician. And so I think people that are really heart- hanging on just one or the other, I think that's where the trouble starts for me. So do you think, um, you know, as as an industry, you know, um, is it maybe on the people who, uh, I don't know how to put this. So, you know, to help break that stigma, you know, is it maybe better for us to somehow start showing the light to the people of, hey, here are the people who who have actually gone through these schools. Here is the path that they took and here's how they were successful um, and maybe shed more light to that to 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 wean off of that of that stigma. And I, I, don't, I don't even know what that looks like. I'm just, I think you that, know. Sti- that stigma is being it's waning itself off with time. I mean, 20 years ago, it was mostly hard knocks and very few educator, educated students. Now it's the exact opposite. Most of the people are starting out in these in sound companies these days have gone to some program or not. Mm-hmm. It's actually the standard now that you would come in with education. Not to say you actually retain anything from the education. It's very hard to learn in in a in a you know in an you you say you get a lecture on impedance. How much of that do you retain two years later? None, zero. It takes time, right. and so I, I don't actually think education. I mean, just just to get get a little off track of audio. There's a lot more going on in college than talking about how we you know tune a PA or how to mix. There's there's all the the literacy skills. Can you read? Can you write? Can you analyze information? Can you work with other people? Can, can you be you, on time? Can you be on time? And I'm serious. And we you know, yeah. we have a very strict attendance policy and tardy policy at our school. It's very, very strict. And that's why it's like, if you can't show up to, on class, I'm not going to write a reference letter for you. I'm not going right. to call up Claire for you. I'm not going to do that. And Can so, you do a that's, keg stand? <laughs> Can you? I, I, I think that's that's a great point. Eric, you know, for me, I think I, I, what I would say is you, you can't argue with results, right? So when you walk into a job site, um, you know, people have preconceived notions and it might be because you're you're young, which is something I had to deal with when I toured. I was 19 years old, right? So they, they'd walk in and they took a look at me and they, they decided that I don't know what I'm doing. So it might be because you're young or because you are a female or because you have a, a you know, a Berkeley logo on you, like whatever it is that makes people or think they know um, what your level of knowledge is. Um, just just go in and, and kill it. Just be awesome because then you're going to kind of force that person to confront the fact that you showed up and you did an awesome job. And so I think I think it's slowly going to kill itself off a lot of these stigmas because we just have people who are just going out and doing a great job. And so it's like, oh, yeah, and I went to the school, you know, oh, yeah, and I'm only 19 years old or whatever, whatever that is. I mean, you can't argue with someone who shows up and does an awesome job. Yeah, I, I think that, the, oh, go ahead, Anna, go ahead. Uh, along those lines, like I... I don't tell people that I'm a student until after the show. And then after a show's done and I'm wrapping up and I give them my business card or whatever I end up doing that night, I say, uh, like, we usually catch up after shows, as you do, during loadout. And I say, you know, I'm a student. I'm, you know, in my third year at this program locally. Um, And the look on some people's faces is very interesting, let me tell you. Yeah, that's powerful. That's great. I, I and I, I think that's going to play a big role in, in what you're talking about, Chris. Is just you know how do we yeah. just norm, normalize this stuff? Well, I, I I think the other thing too is more um, I, again I haven't processed this too much until now is that you know 
education is becoming uh, in the, in our field is becoming more and more accepted in that uh, you have people like Merlin Van Veen, your Nathan Lively's, your your Bob McCarthy's, your your whoever who are making it very day to day. Kyle Turnsides, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I don't. I think it's name. I think it's necessary. I mean, right. thirty years ago, you could be in audio and you could not know anything about IP networking. Today, you better know a lot about IP networking. It's no it's no longer optional. You know, so there are all these things that. Um, uh, our breadth of knowledge has to be wider uh, than ever before in order to be successful at this. And so so I think there's there's an increasing need for this type of education. I don't even and 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 I don't know if we want to fully make it. It's not that I, I, I'm arguing that people should accept educated audio young audio people, I think the School of Hard Knocks should still exist. We need to have a filter system. I mean, there's going to be how many audio grads every year come out of American schools? You know, thousand. It's I mean, we don't have room for that many people in the industry unless they're willing to work. So the, the Hard Knocks is still there to filter out people that that cannot, you know, in the recording studio, say work work nights or people that can't handle working with other people or can't show up on time. I, I do think that some sort of Hard Knock system does actually filter out i don't want to say the weak but but they're, they're not ready the ill-suited <laughs> I, yeah. I've, I've seen people get filtered out because they can't ride the bus or they can't <laughs> or they can't yeah. eat or go to the bathroom when they want to you know like so and and that's from like professionals that that are like luthiers they're guitar techs that know how to build a guitar from a tin can and scratch and be perfect pitch and then they get on a bus and they can't handle it you know, so that there's things that you can't teach. And I had an idea and I, I've actually kind of almost pitched it to a couple universities is to open a venue and make the kids run the venue from cleaning the bathrooms to booking the shows to settling the shows to doing the inputs, doing the outputs, lighting, audio, video, doing the whole thing, because venues right now are the best venues there are, and we've kind of deducted it through all of our podcasts or churches right now because the the gear that they're being able to put in there that a lot of people aren't even privy to at the School of Hard Knocks. Um, if a college would go and open a venue, maybe even a nonprofit, but have the kids run every aspect of it, that's better than sitting there learning about impedance for two weeks. You know what I mean? Like, I think uh, that's a fantastic idea. And, and I'm searching for a new capstone project for the, my four-year degree. And I think that's a really, well, you know, possibly I'll give you my email address. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fantastic we'll, we'll idea. edit this bit out so no other school can take it. <laughs> Wait, Eric, didn't you take your kids on a, on a cruise ship and, and just kind of throw them into the audio production environment, though? Yeah, I mean, that's, well, let's, let's hear about that. Well, one of our grads, Tim Cabral, he runs a, a company called Cruise Production that 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 um, they're the they do all the production for these large music festivals. I think they've done I don't know a hundred major major concert festivals in the last five years. And he was a grad from our school in 1980. And when he when he went freelance five years ago, six years ago, he brought um, my students on as interns to kind of pay it back to the college as kind of a thank you. And since then, we've done that six times. And we go on ship. Hannah did this with me in October. It's, it's 
uh, between uh, between three and seven days on on ship and to big festivals with big acts and they work as interns and they the students get a lot of abuse as interns and then quickly the uh, the, the the both the touring crew and then the actual paid stat audio staff that's that's with the production company they will uh, start to accept my students on radio and stop calling them interns and kind of bring them in <laughs> make them um, more yeah, the, the first day was very rough but going yeah. forward you know a couple days in we were just part of the crew and it was a really great experience. But they, but they get to really see the real thing. They get to, you know, unload and trucks and load up trucks. And I mean, you log a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of steps walking up, you know, pushing road cases around cruise ships. It's a, it's a very, it's a hard gig. It's different than anything else you've ever done. Uh, but it's a wonderful educational experience. The students learn so much. Mark Rubel at the Blackbird Academy has been bringing his students out to some of my shows for the last, well, when I was still touring, he'd bring students out, bring his whole class. I'd give them the walk around of the arena or whatever show we were in. Oh, that's great. And then I, he would pick like three to four kids to stay with me for the entire show. And I thought that was brilliant because one, it just, the look on these kids faces like that they were backstage and there was just people on macbooks and not doing cocaine and and drinking like <laughs> that there was actually work going on elsewhere you know because everyone has this misconception that it's the 80s still and it's and it's not it's a business like and I think that's very important for the students to see whatever age they are is like, Hey man, there's a lot of parts of the audio business that you don't even see. It's not an X, it's not all XLR cables and microphone stands. There's, there's a lot more going on. Like, um, very cool that you got to take them on the cruise ship though. Yeah. Like, um, I would have got them all weird speedos just to make them feel super awkward. For, <laughs> for a I mean, weeks. Kyle, I'm not going to say that I didn't. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it, it, it's fun. Um, you know, my students are lucky. It's not just the cruise ship, though. Although we're in the kind of in the middle of nowhere, Maine, which is a real challenge for our recording students because there's absolutely nothing going on recording studio wise for them to intern at. But for live, we've got a 17,000-seat shed in town, and we've got a 2,000-seat Performing Arts Center of 10 miles away. And my students, and we've got an 8,000-seat arena in town, and my students work all these venues. So, the, you know, the senior class is small. You were usually between 5 and 10 students, and I would say, uh, you know, 8 out of 10 of them, maybe 9 out of 10 of them work locally getting paid as sound engineers or, or, or crew, but they get to they get to push road cases and they get to look, set up video walls mm-hmm. and they get all this they get to see it which is great and and I'm I'll be I'll be completely honest they probably learn more from that experience than they do from class. Mm-hmm. Oh that's exactly I mean that's I think that's such an important part of it you know and and the people that you know if you just sit in a classroom for 4 years and you don't go push a road case I think you know you're in for a really rude awakening. We had uh, a company I work with, I, I, I may have told this story before, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw her under the bus. So she, she will remain unnamed, you know, a uh, fresh audio graduate from a, from a program that I was not familiar with. Um, and the boss says, Hey, you know, I'm bringing in a new person. She might be a good A2. So just have her shadow. And I said, sure. Um, as soon as we showed up, it was all about like, when we flip in the console and I'm like, look, that's like nine hours from now. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're, we're going into an empty theater. So like, okay, let's, I'm going to go put the points in. Let me show you how to pin the boxes. Let me show you how to run this. Like no interest at all. When we tuned it, no interest. You know, I had a couple of guys came to ride along from Reddit who were like super into it. She was not interested until the console flipped. And then she was all about it. And then she's like, I might be a little bit late, you know, on show day. And she showed up like 20 minutes before the show. And she's like, 
can I mix? I'm like, no, you can't mix. Like, you, what are you talking about? So, um, I, I, like I said, you can't teach that, um, that whole drive and like, Hey, you know, you don't just walk in and put your hands on a console. Um, and, and Kyle, like you were saying, I mean, on, on those show days, I might be in the venue for 16, 18 hours and 90 minutes of that is mixing. And so if, if that's the only 90 minutes that you're interested in, um, you're going to have a really rough time because that's, that's really not what the job is, you know, at least for, like I said, there are a couple of people out there who get to do the white glove, walk up and mix and go back to the bus. But for the vast majority of us working in the field, that's just not the reality. You know, you're there from the truck doors opening to the truck doors closing. And by the time you get to the bus, you might get a cold slice of pizza that everybody has already ate because their truck was yeah. done before you. I mean, so, yeah, Eric, you, you, had, you had mentioned that, um, you know, or, or maybe handed it, you know, one of the things you can't teach is work ethic, right? So uh, the, the other thing I would say maybe you can't teach would be uh, passion, passion and desire, right? So yeah, I agree. What, what, what's, what's the correlation or, or the, um, uh, the number of like people coming in that you find, you know, are there because, hey, this is, this is, um, this is what I need to do versus like, hey, I'm here because like, I know this is what I want to pursue. Um, and have you ever been able to see someone maybe, turn that around if, if they didn't already have that bug that hey I, this is what i want to pursue in the heart and passion uh or is it pretty much you can kind of tell whether they're, they're there or not i don't know if i'm so, making that so clear two, or not but two questions there the first one is is you know uh, um the the ratio you were asking the ratio kind of the ratio of how many have it and how many don't um there there's a, a self filter for me we've got a recording program and we have a live sound program nobody chooses live sound ac- <laughs> accidentally <laughs> I lo- yes and, i love that and, and we, we we and so you know next year we're changing all our program names and we're going to be an audio engineering major and you're going to have a, a live sound production a music production oh, and a awesome. post production major so there's that's going to be good. three majors and uh, so we forgot to ask all the incoming freshmen to pick. So every, there was an email that went out <laughs> about a month ago, like, please pick a major. And they all picked music production. Who wouldn't? Right. So then I have to, of course, spend, you know, f- about, I got roughly two years to to get them to pick live sound before they're stuck in the recording program. And um so people who, to the dark side show how much show them how much spotify pays you versus how much doing a stagehand call will pay you, you and go. and i'll tell you which one they're gonna pick <laughs> yeah well i do that and and i also bring them out but i also bring them out on gigs because i don't want them to pick the major if they don't like it and they don't love it because it's right. just, it's going to be i mean i there's nothing more fun than having a disinterested student for four straight years <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we so, gotta have a whole line of T-shirts with these quotes, man. You're on fire. This is well, great. I'm I'm honest with my students, and I say this to their face. You know, if if you don't, if you you know, if you I I will I will you know, you can be in my class, but you know, you're gonna know how I feel about it. And so they self-select, and I get a small group, and they're all about it. And would you agree, Hannah? Yes, I would completely agree. If if you're in it, you're in it, and if you're not, you're, you're not. Um, especially with our live program, um, it's very self-selective i like that term and, and for the most part the recording program does the same thing by the end of four years your other question was have i seen people flip around and, and you know kind of be lame in the beginning and awesome in the end you see that with every 18 year old change that's a, a real <laughs> critical time of changing i have seen some students do a, a complete 180 usually i don't see a complete 180 usually you see a diamond in the rough as a freshman but i have seen a few people who they often sometimes you'll occasionally see somebody literally fail out and come back two years later and rock it because they were just ready now. 
Yeah, you know, and one of the things I tell people too, in terms of like Sheffield, or even even at my time when I was at Maryland Sound, it's like you you're. And this is true in, in life. You're gonna get out of it what you put into it. Yes. So I mean, exactly. you know, if you if you go in with the mindset of like, hey, I'm gonna soak. What, you know, even if this is not fully applicable or not the full direction, I'm gonna get out of it what I can get out of it. You know, um, you know. Different people have different opinions on their time at you know at Maryland Sound, right? And it's like I I choose to look at the learning experience that I got to have during that time, um, you know, uh, and the gear that I got to work on and, and the, the knobs that I got to push and turn, um, and so I I I got a lot out of it because I put a lot into it. So it's I know that's another hard thing to teach someone, um, but yeah, that's my rule though, man. I mean, there's a line in Fight Club: you decide your own level of involvement, and I think it's great. Uh, and and you know, I, Eric, I think I, I said this to you at, at AES when we were talking in, in, in the fall, you know, for every hundred people that say, man, I really want to do this. I really want to be a system tech. I really want to learn smart, whatever it is, you know, whatever reason someone would write to me, um, out of those hundred people, I think one will actually follow through and say, okay, so when can we sit down and, and learn some stuff? And, um, you know, I, I will match your level of enthusiasm. In yes. terms of, you yep. know what I mean? So that's my I'll thing. So. Same, I'm exactly the same way. And by the way, you were talking, this is when you met Hannah and you said, you, you like, I don't really want to hang out with you, Hannah, unless you're one of those people. You kind of like, kind of put her on the spot. She said, oh, I'm, I'm going to be. I'll, way to I will. go, Michael. And, and Hannah was like, no, I'll match you. And, and she has. I mean, Hannah's one of those those rare students who is just completely and utterly obsessed about this. Oh, uh, she's, she's, she's gunning for an A, Eric, right now. I think. <laughs> and she'll, she'll go back to calling you Mr. Ferguson here in a bed or Professor yeah, Ferguson. No one oh, has yeah, ever sure. called me Mr. Ferguson. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I'm calling you that now from now on. Uh, so, but no, to me, it's, it's like, it's the same idea as uh, if you sign up for music lessons, right? And it's, you're just there because your, your mom made you go take piano. The piano teacher has talked about quarter notes over and over and over again. So they don't need to talk about it again. But if you want to, if you actually care, they will talk about it again. So that's kind of where I'm at. Like, you know, I, I at this point, um, I, I'm pulled in enough directions that I, I don't really want to say things just to say them. But if you legitimately care and you legitimately want the knowledge, I'll talk to you all day. And so I really want to filter that. And I do. I get a good number of emails from folks saying, hey, I really want to get into this. How do I get into this? And I always send them, here's some resources. You know, do you want to set up a time to talk. And I, and literally, I think it's one or two out of a hundred that will come back and say, okay, I, I read this and I have a question or I, I really want to do this next step. And and so those are the people that I want to focus my time on. I agree. I mean, that's the same as it is for me. I mean, these students will sit in class and they'll do their homework, but if they don't actually put beyond that, they're, they have to go beyond that for me really to be convinced that they're ready for the big world. Because the big world is, you know, it's completely self-motivated. You know, once once you're out of college, there's no more grades. There's no more reason that you have to get up and go to go to school, you know? Right. Well, that's, I mean, we talked about that on the Willow Snow episode. Like, you know, how did you get the gig with this band? Uh, I, I told them I wanted to work with them. Like, you know, no one else, the, the Beatles don't come and ring your doorbell. That's not how this works. You know what I mean? So if you want something, you got to go after it. And so all the awesome professional connections I've had and all the mentors I've had. I mean, Ethan Weiner is like, he's a very dear mentor of mine and he's my mentor because I called him up at his house and started asking him questions. <laughs> that's, you know, that's not, he's not going to come to me. That's not how this works. So if you want it, you got to go and get it. And so I think, you know, and that is true regardless of whether you choose to go to school, whether you choose to start working at a local production company as an employer, I don't care how you know what you know. I care what you know. 
Um, and so, you know, I think there's a spectrum there of how it makes sense for you to acquire the knowledge that you need to acquire. And so I think that's kind of a good frame for the whole, should I go to school? Should I take the hard knocks route? I mean, I think there's, there's a valid path through all of that. Yeah. Hard hard knocks route. You're going to have to do like a jujitsu class as well, <laughs> and, and and possibly a a class on how to navigate catering because um you could definitely make yourself sick by choosing the wrong foods. Um, chicken yeah. and brown sauce, chicken, chicken yes. and brown sauce, <laughs> <laughs> vegan options. Yep. Man, this has been kind of cool. I uh, yeah. I. I I like this. We should do another round table and bring the full gamut on. Maybe we could find someone older than me. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll get Howard Page back on. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne, Wayne Polly. There you go. You yeah. know what? I, Wayne's been on. I've been meaning to call. I only, I only made a phone call, so I'll call him. But um, yeah, Eric and Hannah, thank you. Thank you very much for your for your time and, and for your insight. Sure. I think it's been a really cool conversation. I, I sincerely hope that a lot of the folks who are listening, who are contemplating, you know, what's their next step in audio or what's their path, I hope they'll find some guidance here. And, and uh, Eric, how can folks reach out to you if they have questions about your program or your school? Well, like you, I will talk to anybody. I, I I'm totally obsessed with audio, and I'm and I'm I love teaching. It's 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 super fun to reach out to me. Uh, email uh, Ferguson E. That's F E R G U S O N E at Husson. That's H U S S O N dot edu. You could also find my personal website bluecupmusic.com. You could find me that way as well. So we definitely encourage anyone who's thinking about going to school for audio uh, to reach out to Eric and, uh, you know, pick his brains a little bit. And, and if you if you are in school for audio now or if you did go to school for audio, I mean, I think we would love Kyle would love to delete some more of your emails. So <laughs> send them over. It's, it's uh, signal number two noise podcast at Gmail dot com. And go ahead and, and uh, send us your thoughts. And we do enjoy uh, reading all those. And so thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, please stay safe out there. <laughs>